One of the hard Super Bowl losses to the Bears. And that no, you, were, you were 10 years old when they won the Super Bowl, basically, right? This is very true. And once back when Alan came on my podcast, he tried to get me to leave the Patriots. He tried. He wanted me to leave the Patriots, and I couldn't do it. So I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't leave. And now I'm thinking, you know, you know, five and eleven, four and twelve, Jared Siddham. Now we can easily go ten and six, eleven and five, win the East, and who knows? Maybe we could beat the Ravens. Lamar is only. No, we do know you can't beat the Ravens. Yeah, probably. Come on, man. Nope. 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 You damn sure ain't going to be. You damn ain't being Kansas City. Guess what? Guess what? Did you say look at that Patriot defense? The Ravens defense the are better. <laughs> they, 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 you talk about you talk about a team that that flipped a kicker that the Jets cut and for a fifth round draft pick, and they they brought back Calais Campbell with a fifth round draft pick and Derek Wolf, and they still have all those secondary players, Humphreys, Peters, and uh and um Smith, Jimmy Smith as well. And guess what? They had the highest-paid nickel that got hurt in camp last year. He'll be coming back. And then they said, well, guess what? We don't have any impact linebackers. They go get Patrick Queen. And then they also go out and get a thumper. And then Malik Kid uh, from, from Ohio State is going to play in between the tackles. This is the Ravens' window. And um, can, the, can the Patriots win? And can they upset somebody? Of course, right? You can always upset somebody. But it's not likely to me. ESPN Radio is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. This is Shower Sessions, half interview, half concert. It's on 98.7 ESPN, Barton Hahn. What's up, James? Yeah, Carl, uh, Carl and Bart, what's going on, y'all? Um, I just want to say thank you for reading that other caller, Nick, about Patriots being the Ravens. Thank you for that. I, I, that was much needed. Good job out of that. Yeah. But I want to ask, like, uh, 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 exactly. I, what I really want to ask is, Looking at the AFC East, so obviously the Bills are that team. They look poised to win. But but here's my question for both of you. Does the Cam Newton signing, assuming that he's healthy, does that put the Patriots as the favorites to win the AFC East? Or could they be the one challenging Buffalo for the East? Or could they be a wild card team? Where do you see the Patriots going in not only that division, but in the conference as a whole? No, well, I think they're the favorites, absolutely. I think I think they I think they should be the only thing that I would I would give the slight edge. When I say slight edge, I'm talking about slight edge. The slightest edge is I don't even know how I can how I can quantify it. I give the slight edge to Buffalo because they have the entire team intact, and you know they did make that big signing for Diggs that I think gives them that explosive downfield threat. Um, so I, I give a slight edge to them just because they're going to have continuity. Cam Newton is going to be rough early on trying to figure it out. And when you think about, you know, really what the Patriots have to do, have to face in this division, as Cam's trying to kind of figure everything out, they have arguably the toughest schedule, uh, if not, you know, one of the toughest schedules in football. I mean, they got the Raiders, they got the Chiefs, they got the 49ers, the Broncos, maybe much more improved. They got the Texans. You know they got you know they got the uh, the NFC West I believe and they got the AFC. Uh, let's see, they may have the AFC West as well or the AFC. Let's see. The Patriots. Yeah, yeah, the Patriots. They have the AFC. They may. They, I'm thinking they're out they're of. Playing out the, of they're playing the AFC West. AFC West and the NFC West as well. Yes. Which is going to be tough sledding because that means they have Seattle, who's going to be tough sledding always. Then they have the 49ers that's tough sledding. 
Then they got the Rams, who's, who's going to be much more improved than what they were last year. So if they have to face those tough teams early in the season, then that's when it's going to be that's when it's going to be tough for them to get off to a fast start as they're trying to work through Cam Newton, kind of figuring out the nuance of the of the game. And they start off, I think, nine twenty. They have on they have the uh, Seahawks, and then week two, and, yeah, yeah, week two. Then they then they go and they have on um, the Raiders, like. Uh, hey man. Fisher, uh, episodes 1, 2, July 5th, 3 and 4, July 12th, 5 and 6, July 19th, 7 and 8, July 26th, and uh, it's it's going to be fantastic, you know, um, and I wonder how long this has been in the making, I wonder if this is something that just been invented, and I also wonder if this is something that hasn't been in the plan for years, that I wonder if at any part, if Vanessa Bryant is going to be included in into it. That's that I think is going to be pretty big because people would would, would want to hear that side, right? Because it's it's always easy to see all professional athlete da da da, but I think it's even more interesting. Hearing the other side of the perspective, the wife, the girlfriend, you know, especially if they have kids, how how was it like during those times? You know, when he came home sore, or or when he came home from a big loss, or when he came home from a big win, or through a championship parade, or through a championship loss. To me, that's more interesting. So I think this will be, will be fantastic. From what I've heard, um, Kobe started to have a film with him around 2012. Like, I mean, they had like old footage and they'll get his thoughts on how he was feeling that season. And then Magic Johnson was working with Kobe while having this in the works. Um, they, but never really got into full fruition. And we get to see the mindset of Kobe Bryant. We get to hear from um, Vanessa. Hopefully we get to hear from Vanessa. Hopefully his kids if they if they allowed to. Um, we're not sure, but this will be pretty cool. I, I thought this was pretty cool. Um, well, if, they, if they've been filming since 2012, it, it'd be amazing if not only would we hear Kobe, if we hear Gigi, man. I'm, oh, I'm, man, I'm telling you. That, that would be fantastic. Like, like if you saw clips of him coaching and her playing basketball, I'm I'm telling you, it's 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 all it's already gonna get a lot of ratings because of Kobe, but that would just you wouldn't leave a dry eye in the house. But we'll table that for now. 
as we do have a guest tonight, and it is Robert M. Pimpsner. He covers minor league baseball, and he's been a beat writer since 2003, and he's a managing founder partner of Pinstripe Prospects. Yankees have a lot of good young talent on this 60 man, and most of these guys wouldn't even make the roster if it wasn't for this, you know, unusual circumstances. Yeah, and, uh, and I can't wait to pick his brain, and there's some, there's some interesting questions I gotta ask him as well, so we can't wait, and then we'll, then we'll after the interview, we'll, we'll talk about the big announcement at the end of the show, that I, we talked in our pre-show meeting, and uh, yeah, we'll talk about all this after, but let's get the interview cracking, kids. That's right. Robert, how have you been doing since this pandemic? Yeah, just uh, keeping busy, trying to make do with what's going on, and uh, you know, just trying to stay active as much as I can. Hey, Robert, this is James, the other half of the sports dudes. Um, before we get into the fun stuff, obviously. We have to talk about the serious stuff, and I want to get your thoughts on everything that's going on in the world, the Black Lives Matter movement, players speaking out, um, organizations donating to social justice changes. I want to get all your thoughts on the whirlwind events that's been going on basically for the past month. I mean, it's it's everywhere. You, you see, there is a, a profound change going on, and this feels different than what's happened the last few years. I think finally what some people are realizing, and uh, I'll include myself in there, is that there are structural systemic issues in this country that need to be addressed. Stuff that was put in place many, many years ago from people that may have had motives and biases against people of different races, and we're seeing the results of that today. And you know, a lot of things were put in place that we take for granted today. That has a basis in you know in racism and, and everything like that. Unfortunately, you know, they 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 say uh, uh, slavery and racism is our country's original sin, and. Uh, yeah, to a point, yeah, it's it's correct. You know, it's been around since our country was founded. You know, had we not broken away from the British, you know, slavery in this country might have ended about 40 years earlier, 50 years earlier. You know, and uh, you know, there might, might not have been a need for a civil war. And uh, but coming out from all that is there's just a lot of things in place that. I think as a nation, as a society, we're just finally starting to address. And I I pretty much support all players coming out and speaking their minds and, and lending their voices to it because it needs to be addressed for us to move forward as a nation. You know, one of the, the great things about this country is that for all of our faults, and we do have many, when we come together to solve problems, we can solve problems and make a profound change in the world. And I think it's about time that we make that change in ourselves and in our world. 
I agree. And I think that's important going forward, that we make a change going forward. Um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about a little bit of some fun stuff. So the minor leagues, um, you obviously do be ready. You do my covering minor leagues, especially the Yankees have a ton of good minor league prospects. Um, my biggest question has always been on my mind. Why didn't the Yankees um, bring up Dominguez? I am really big on Dominguez. Like, it's not even just to make the team, but to just to get him exposure to what it's like being around big leaguers. Why did the Yankees do that? He's like their best-rated prospect. Well, there's actually several legitimate reasons why they did not put Dominguez on that 60-man player pool. And, and for the same reason they didn't put Austin Wells on that player pool is... That player pool is essentially going to be your 40-man roster for this season. You know, it's made of the guys that are actively on the 40-man plus 20 minor leaguers and everything. But in order for them to be removed from that 60-man player pool, they either have to be released if they're non-40-man players or put through waivers. For a team like the Yankees, remember last year how many guys the Yankees used and so it makes sense why would the team like the Yankees that are go go for it this year that this is their a shot for them to win the championship win the World Series why would you have them on that roster when you could have a, guys that are there and ready that can contribute to the major league level now I mean we're saying this, but the Yankees also have two spots available. You know, they could fill those spots at any time, do a trade or a uh, signing for you, or something like that. So we never know what could happen. But you also have to remember, you know, a lot of these guys are doing their own things. They already have workouts in mind. The younger minor leaguers, you know, Dominguez is the most hyped prospect right now. He has yet to play in a professional game. You know, that would be much different had we had a minor league season this year. There is no minor league season. We may finally get a uh, an announcement officially canceling minor league season in the next uh, few days. But you know, Dominguez has a lot to go, a lot to prove, and a lot to go. You know, he is still a 16, 17 year old kid that has yet to even play rookie ball. So there's no need for putting him on that 60 man player pool. And Austin Wells, you know, he's a college catcher that, uh, you know, there really is no need. Why, why put a guy like that on the player pool when you can have a guy that has major league experience and be uh, a potential contributor if you need him? I agree. Um, this is a particular Yankee I am not a big fan of, and that's Clint Frazier. So, people know he can hit, right? But he's basically DH. So if John Carl Stanton is on the roster, which he will be, if Miguel Andujar is is in the roster, which he should be, and if we don't want him on the outfield, how is Clint Frazier gonna get at bats? Because if 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 the Yankees are trying to trade him, he has to play. So if if the season started in April. He would have had those at bats. How are the Yankees gonna get him those at bats? That, that's a good question. And the truth is, and none of us really know. But if you, you look up and down this roster, 
you know, there may be opportunities there. Um, who knows what that means for that initial 30-man roster and that 28 and then the final the 26. But we know, you know, at least during summer camp, which still sounds weird to say, um, that he'll get some playing time and everything, and he'll get workouts down in the uh, player pool and their secondary site, which wherever that will be, they haven't made an official announcement yet for that. You know, there's still something that can be done. You know, I, unlike many, apparently, I'm a fan of Clint. I really like him. I think he's a fantastic bat. I think what people score with him defensively has been more of an issue with the concussions he suffered, causing him to be a lot more cautious out there and not um, really doing what he used to do. Because coming up through the minors, you know, he was never labeled a defensive liability in the outfield. And he was a guy that was primarily going to be a right fielder, maybe play some left, maybe a little center fielder in a pinch. But he was never labeled a defensive liability. You know, he was still being, you know, average defensive outfielder. And then, you know, you, you start getting concussions and everything like that. It, it takes a toll. You know, a lot of this game is, is mental. And I still believe in Clint. I think he still has a ton of talent. I think he still has a ton of potential. And I just think a lot of people just soured on him for, uh, for no good reason. And a lot of that stems to like how he was treated when he came over to the Yankees as well, like how he was portrayed in the media, which I, I felt was very uncalled for and, and stuff like that. You know, you know, some of the, some of the stuff that happened, I, I just feel has been very unfair to Clint. I, I, maybe his personality is not the best for New York, but I still believe in him. Um, another prospect that Nick knows where I'm going with this. I am <laughs> high on this prospect. That's my boy, Clark Smith. What do you, how do you think Clark Smith would do? He's on the 60-man roster. I don't. I know he's probably not going to crack the roster, but what's your projection on my boy, Clark Smith? I'm a big fan of Clark Smith. A lot of yeah! A lot of it because of how hard this guy works and just the type of guy he is. He's, he, I can tell from my, my experience with him, he's a very he's a good guy. He's a, you know one of the nicest guys. He's got a good head on his shoulders, and you know he's he's very into the new technologies and the new analytics and everything that's coming out. He's a student of the game and, and the new game, and I think him you put him with uh, Garrett Cole. You put him with Matt Blake. You put him with uh, Sam Green. You, you got a recipe for a guy that is going to be a number two starter eventually in the big leagues for the Yankees. And I think, you know, the sky's the limit with him. I, I think he has some potential there. If he could really unleash the power of his pitches and the teams, you know, what he could do, he maybe even be better. But uh, I... I I project him to be a feature number two behind Garrett Cole in, in uh, the Yankees rotation. Let's Ooh. go! Let's go! Um, I'm, I'm so hyped about this. Um, another big projected starter 
And this is a guy who was in a lot, a lot of trade packages last year. Mr. Debbie Garcia. Now, a lot of people say that they would not have given up, given him up for Marcus Stroman. And, and maybe I agree with that. But some people also say he's not quite ready yet. So let's just say a lot of teams, right? They like to keep players based on their potential. But if they bust, isn't that a bigger problem than keeping them just because of their potential? Because at the end of the day, Debbie Garcia can have 100 innings in AAA, an ERA at .20, and 80 strikeouts. It's still AAA. So where's the line from keep because of potential to trade and win now? Well, here's the thing you got to remember in terms of player development. Player development is definitely more of an art than a science. And even with everything still going on and the science being uh, implemented in the game today, player development is very much an art. It's finesse. It's, it's, you know, just learning about the guys and learning how to pitch and everything. It is not as much a, uh, you know, you do this, this, and this, and you get this. It is very much a, a an art. It, there's a lot of stuff that, that could go wrong, a lot of stuff that could happen. That being said, the Yankees have a lot of data on these guys. You know, everyone's been, you know, coming into spring training this year, everyone's been, you know, talking about all the technology the Yankees have been implementing in the major league level. A lot of that stuff has been used in the minor league level for years now. And uh, even more. And, and there's some other cool things going on. But in terms of Demi Garcia, I, I see him as the guy that's probably him and Escobar Ferreira are the two guys I see as being hurt most by there being no minor league season and the season cut short. Because they really needed those innings and that time to play in, ex, in an extended season. And uh, I, I view that as realistic and it's really hurt them. Because those guys are on the 40 man roster and the year goes by, they're. They only get two more option years. Who knows how that's going to work with option years now, too? Like, I haven't even looked into that. But, uh, um, the, the, the one knock that the Yankees have always had is developing pitching. And obviously, when we talk about coaching, he could be effective uh, with, with New England. Technology James, you're breaking up. Okay. Uh, I said with this new technology that you can the Yankees actually develop pitching because I know they can develop hitting, but what about the pitching aside from Clark Smith and Death? Those are like the two big ones that we that we just talked about. Well, the Yankees can definitely develop pitching. I mean, they've kind of developed a reputation over the years as finding and developing really good relievers. Over the last few decades, what they haven't had the bit luck in is developing starting pitching, and that's something that, with everything's going on in the organization, the uh, the massive changes that has been made in the developmental level and uh, some new stuff that they've built, uh, like a brand, they built a brand new pitching lab, a biomechanics lab that is 
like the jewel, the jewel of their player development complex in Tampa, where they can work with guys and get all these data points and really help these guys become the best they can be. The one knock on the Yankees in terms of pitching, and this is one of the problems when it comes to being as successful as a team as the Yankees are, is you don't have that ability to get the premier talent because you're pick, picking at the front of the draft every year. The Yankees are always in the back of the draft. And you saw like this year, they lost two draft picks. They're losing over a million dollars in international bonus pool money. You know, that hampers their ability to find top-tier talents that are can't miss starting pitching prospects. So they really need to get as many pitchers in and really find the, the jewels that are not really being looked at by any other scouts. So they're really at a disadvantage when it comes to developing that top-tier starting pitching because of their success in the big league level. James, ask, ask another question while I do something real quick. Um, another thing, uh, another thing um, um, I'm interested in is, like, um, the Yankees overall rank in the minor league system. Um, obviously, like, they, um, how about, like, more so, like, their, their, their double-A, like, trending and lower? Where are some other prospects that we could see that could be that given the proper development, we could see on the big league level. I mean, the two names that really come to mind when you talk about guys like that are on the 40-man roster, and that's Luis Medina and Luis Heal. Both of them can be described as fireballers that can, you know, usually average 98, 99, 100 miles an hour with their pitchers. You know, but it's really two different type of pitchers. Medina, you know, had had some mental uh, um, setbacks that really hurt his his performance the last few years. But he really turned the corner last year in uh, terms of the end of the season where he had a streak of eight games where he was just really good and he was on. And we were all looking forward to seeing him this year, just if he could continue that. But right now, you know, I, I would put him, Medina, Debbie, and Floreal, definitely, I would put him with those two guys as uh, hurt mostly by there being no minor league season. Because he definitely needed that, uh, that, that season to get to show up if he, when he did the last eight games of last year were legit, was legit, but I've seen him when he's on. I've been in my league spring training when he had his stuff working and it was perfect and everyone was just amazed. I've ne- I didn't see one jaw that was not on the floor watching him pitch and he is a spectacular guy to watch pitch when he's on. But when he's off, it can be disastrous. And what we've seen a lot in his minor league career is that he's been awful. But the problem is it, is it wasn't really mechanical it was all mental and he seemed to have finally gotten over that that hump last year at, at the end of the season and he was really turning it up and i really wanted to see him continue that this year but he's a guy if he continues on that development he could be a big part of the game picking staff and as a starter 
for the years to come. And Luis Heal is another one. Heal has to work on some different things in Medina, but he's definitely a guy that could be a starter if he continues on the path that he's been on. And then both of these guys are, are just so, so powerful with their, with their fastball. It's just unbelievable to watch. And I really enjoy watching both of them. And to think, you got Luis Heal for Jake Cave, I believe. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the, um, hold on, alright, so, I was just quickly writing what possibly the 26-man roster is, so far I got 25, and basically, I'm pretty sure both of you can probably agree with me, I got Gary Sanchez, Higashioka, Mike Ford, Luke Voigt, DJ, Glaber, Urshela, and Andujar. Judge, Gardy Hicks, John Carl Santon, and Mike Talkman. And for pitching, Britton, Chapman, Arvino, Canely, Paxton, Cole, Tanaka, Montgomery, Green, Hat, Loazaga, Sessa. If I was going to add another position player, I'd say that's between Wade, Estrada, or Herrera. And if I was going to add another pitcher, it'd be between King and I'll say James uh, Heller or Holder. What do you think about that? So this goes back to, I, I haven't even looked at the rules. I don't even know how options are going to work. But I believe Holder doesn't have any options left. Um, what? Wade doesn't have any options left. Right. And Sessa, I know for sure, doesn't. I know Higashioka doesn't, for sure. So a lot of it, and also you got there's a 13-man limit for uh, pitchers. Hmm. in a shortened season like this, especially since they're using that mildly role of Warner on second. You know, I think Wade has a lot of value there. And I'm still a Wade fan. I haven't um, turned my back on Wade. I think he's, he's another one of these guys that did not get a fair uh, shake in the big leagues with the Yankees. And I think, you know, he, he has a lot of value, especially with this runner on second rule. Uh, Ashada as well, because of their speed. But weighed a little bit more than Ashada in, in that regard. Um, both guys offer versatility. Like, you want a guy that, that's very versatile. And uh, yeah, it, it's tough, man. It really is. Uh, it's a good thing that they're... They're not doing 26 to start out with. That they're doing 30, so they got time to see all right who can do what and how things play out. Because no one knows what's going to happen in the short season. Um, tell me about Herrera. Um, what what do you see in Herrera? Because when I was down in spring training, Herrera was, was the guy that kind of jumped off to me. So, what are your thoughts on Herrera? Man, so. First time I saw Herrera play was the first game of spring training this year. And, uh, you know, I'm watching the game. I'm watching him play. I'm watching his at-bats, seeing what he was doing, and just seeing 
how you know, quick he was and how he was playing the game. And I immediately said, and I you can actually go back on Twitter and uh, and see this. It's the first game of spring training. I said, wow, this Yankees got something with Herrera here. I think he could be could be a part of this team. And uh, you know, he's definitely not going to be the superstar. He's, he's not the Glaber Torres type. He is a I don't want to call him a journeyman, but I, I can't think of a better term for it right now. But he's a guy that could do a lot of things well. You know, maybe he could be the next Gio Urshela, and a guy that was really had had enough pick for him coming in, but turned things around. You know, remember the Yankees have had some success with guys like that. Talchman was one. You guys gotta remember. Um, Luke Voigt is another. Um, I'm trying to remember the third baseman that we traded. Um, I don't know why I'm liking his name right now. We traded him for... Um, oh, um, Chase Headley? Yeah, uh, we, we traded him for Chase Headley, but um, Solarte. Yeah, he was a guy oh, yeah, Jarvis, that's right. That just... You know, I was I was watching Herrera in, in spring training. I was like, you know, they have something here that could be really a big help to this team. And I really like the selection. And I was just watching him in that first game. And he's proven it over the next few games in spring training. Well, in all the games in spring training. Because I, I went on and watching. I was cutting the video and, and watching him and be like, wow. We've seen this guy make good defensive play after good defensive play after good defensive play. You know, he's having really good at bats. He's seeing the ball well. He's working out. He's, he's putting good wood to, to, to the ball. You know, he was really showing a lot of potential there. I was, like, really impressed with him. And he's a guy that definitely in this shortened season, if anything happens to Urshela or Andujar, you know, he's a guy that has the potential to just fit right in there and uh, make a make a contribution to this team. I was really impressed with him by training. I'm sure everyone else was, but you know, this is this is one of those great finds for the Yankees post scouting department. And who knows if he makes the team? But Matt Duffy, who just got signed. He's a really reliable, serviceable player with a really good bat and a fair glove. What's your thoughts on him? I think that's a really good pickup for the Yankees. You know, like I, like I was talking about before with the uh, with the sixty man roster, you want guys that can help you this year. You know, we saw last year and the year before just how many injuries can happen during a season. And with a short season, with everyone having off injuries, are definitely more of a concern right now for everyone. So having guys like Duffy, having guys like Herrera, having guys like uh, like Maxwell, who was also just signed, that can fill in Josh Stoll as well, that can fill in whenever you, you need him, is so important 
especially in that 60-man player pool. You want, for a team like the Yankees, if this was a team like the Baltimore Orioles, I would have as many of my top prospects in there as possible. But for the Yankees, you want the guys that would traditionally make up that AAA team, the guys that you could call on and put right into the into a lineup and be able to contribute guys you know that can play at the major league level. I think that's just a great pickup for the Yankees. I agree. I, I really love that pickup. Um, so what, what? So another thing about about the Yankees um, is their ability to draft well. And we talked about Austin Wells. You mentioned earlier about him. So what can you tell us about like? What the school, what the scouting is saying about Austin Wells, and where could you see his some his future could be years from now? You know, in, in terms of future, I would I want to hold off until I get to see him play in person. I've seen a lot of video and everything. I've talked to scouts and everything, but you know, his bat is special. He's definitely got a special bat. And there seems to be a lot of knock on him for his defense. Rightfully so, because it wasn't always good in the past. But this year, he was spent a lot of time working on his defense and everything. And the Yankees just completely revamped their catching instruction throughout the, the system. So I would love to see what they could do with him. But uh, one of the things that he did not get to show off in the college season because it was cut short is his, his uh, revised defense, his refined defense that he's been working on. So everyone's been kind of working on the impression that you know, he's not a, a defensive catcher and everything from the years prior, which was true. And he has potential. He could be a first baseman. He could be a, an outfielder even. I'm very anxious to see what he can do because he's a guy that that bat can play anywhere you put him even if it's at DH, and I don't see him having a problem moving up fairly quickly through the farm system. Um, another player the Yankees drafted, you know, at least maybe a year or two ago, switch hitting catcher Anthony Siegler. How has he been doing in the minors? You know, one of the, the knocks on Siegler in his short professional career is you know, he's, he's been injured a lot, and he's missed a considerable amount of time. So that's really hurt him in terms of uh, his player development, especially as a, as a catcher. So, you know, he's a guy that likely this season, had we had a mile league season, he was going to have a return trip to Class A Charleston. Oh, um, so, who knows next year what would happen, but had he been, had we had a minor league season, he would have had that return trip trip to, uh, to Charleston for the season. And, uh, you know, it kind of, we're just at that point where there's so much up in the air that we can't really say what's going on with certain prospects because my league spring training was canceled. We didn't get a chance to see these guys. We didn't get a chance to uh, see what they were working on and everything and talk to them as, as we would have. So a lot of it is still just working off of last year and the year before. You know, uh, Siegler, 
was a guy I was really excited about, as Josh Bro as well. And uh, even Volpe, I was really looking forward to seeing those three guys, seeing how they developed uh, in my league spring training. But without having that ability this year, it, it's it's a little tough when it comes to talking about where these prospects are in their development. Vol- Volpe is going to be real, really, really good. Quick question with the struggles. Um, if it's injury, I think it's fine. But what? is the Yankees' approach to how long they deal with the player's struggles Do you know, what's un- until they can decide whether it's worth it to keep trying or to just give up and trade it away? Well, there is no set formula. Everything is done per player. You know, a lot of it depends on the player's attitude. A lot of it depends on what they're seeing from Because you could see a guy, and I'll use pitchers as a perfect example. You could see a pitcher go out there, struggle in a game, and you look at the box score and you say, oh, he sucks, he had this many walks, he didn't strike out enough guys, and all this stuff. But... When it comes down to player development side, they could see that game as success because they told him to throw X number of change-ups, which he's never thrown before, or X number of new pitches, and he was able to execute those pitches exactly how he wanted to, even though the results was what they wanted to, but he was able to execute the plan they came up with. So everything is done at an individual level. There is no set formula. There is no set plan that covers everyone. You know, everything is individualized in player development. So a lot of it, you know, whether you decide to give up on a player or I don't even want to say give up on a player, really, but um, a lot of it comes down to, okay, how they work with coaches and and everything like that. Um, So tell me, uh, another, the Yankees have probably one of the, uh, the best way to do it and for developing their players, especially most of the players that the Yankees have are on, on the roster. So, who takes more of the, like, does Cashman get a lot of credit for revamping the minor league system or is it a collection of other guys underneath? I would say it's, it's more of the guys that are underneath, you know. But Cashman does have a say in the matter. Because if you look at the early years of Cashman's reign in New York as GM, he didn't have as much control as most GMs did because of George Steinbrenner. But he really got control around um, the mid-2000s, and they made a lot of changes then, and they made more changes recently. But his success is bringing in the right people know what to do and know what to do to take it to the next level. So a lot of the success in player development, success in drafting, is having the right people who know what they're doing and letting them do what they do. Now, Damon Oppenheimer is a really good scout. I know a lot of Yankees fans don't agree because of some scouting decisions. He is a really good scout. They have a great scouting department. The Yankees have found the perfect balance between the new age technology and the old school scouting. The Yankees have a great player development system that's led by Kevin Reese and Eric Schmidt. You know, they do a lot of great work. 
they got a lot of good technology guys that are working with them now that are implementing some really cool tech um, that is really going to be the game changer in, in terms of developing players in the future. So there's just so much out there and so much that can be done. And, uh, you know, Cashman ultimately deserves the credit for bringing the right people in, but it is a, definitely a team effort. So the last, I would say, three, four years, the Yankees have a fantastic series that they do every year called Homegrown. It basically shows what goes on at the AAA level. Um, do you like something like that? Well, I love that. I, it really shows off, you know, what, sort of what I've always said is the more important aspects of my league and my league uh, player development and everything is, you know, practices and what goes on behind the scenes and everything. Because you can go to a game and not see all the work that goes into it. Um, you know, I see a lot of it because I go to these, for a 7 o'clock game, I'm at the ballpark at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, wow. Same time the players show up, I'm there watching BP, I'm there watching pitching practice, I'm talking with scouts, I'm talking with coaches and everything. And uh, I see the work that these guys put in. And it is a full-time job. And believe it or not, after the game, a lot of these guys stay hour or two after the game because they have more work to do. And they'll put in 10, 12 hours a day working on their craft in the minor leagues. And the series like Homegrown really gets to show off some of that. And yeah, it's a, there's a little bit of a light atmosphere in the in the game, but it doesn't mean they're not putting in the work because they absolutely are putting in the work. Um, one more question for me, and then I'll go to um, Rap Fire. And this is actually makes it interesting. So, Yankees are working so hard and their prospects are what they are. Would you say that from the time that you covered the Yankees, and I know you haven't really got a good glimpse of other teams, but could you say that the Yankees put so much emphasis on develop, um, developing their player because, because of, of um, because of the emphasis on I'm making sure that players come up so they don't have to spend the money on free agents. Hopefully in the last few years, I would say there is that aspect to it. Even if you double the salary of everyone that works in the minors, coaches, players, etc., player development, internal player development, is still the cheapest way to acquire new talent for a Major League Baseball team. And for a team like the Yankees, that says a lot because they have more minor leaguers than any other team. They have more te- minor league teams than any other team. Because we see the value in developing these players from within. And not only that, you know, you can instill in them a sense of what you want them to do in the major leagues. And Yankees emphasize player development in the minors, number one, but they also emphasize winning. They want that competitive experience. We want them to learn what it feels like to be winners and get that hunger so that when they get to the big leagues, they have that same hunger and experience. Yeah, but player development is still the number one thing. And player development makes it a lot easier and a lot cheaper to build winning systems. And what we any great dynasty needs a solid player development system 
that is constantly feeding in new talent at a cheap rate than free agency. And uh, it's really how great championship dynasties are built, especially in this game. Um, so, obviously media is a big part of baseball. You know, you guys talk to the players. Basically, for us, right, you guys can ask them stuff that we couldn't. How do you gauge, because it, it's, it's easy to talk to a player when they hit good or, or the team won. So, how do you go about it when the team loses and if that guy has a game that he doesn't want to remember? The number one thing is treat him with respect and they'll fully understand. Um, I've been in the clubhouse where he's had a kid that was an in-college intern um, say something that didn't sound as good as he, he really wanted to say. And I, I just heard, I saw the player and just, he was visibly frustrated with it. And a lot of it comes down to experience when it comes down. And these players, especially in the minor leagues, in the minor leagues, these guys do not have extensive media training. Um, so they'll show their emotions a lot and their, their frustration. And uh, they have not had the experience dealing with the press at the, as the guys in the major league level do. So there is a lot of feeling out. You, know, you build a relationship with a player, and if and if you're honest with them, they'll be honest with you. I've had many times when a player was struggling, and I talked with him. You know, we've had the interview and everything, and uh, you know, he because of how I treated him, he treats me the same with the same respect. And I think it's very important to have that mutual respect because we have to work together. They understand at that point that, you know, everyone has a job to do. And one of the things about covering the minor leagues, it's, it's not like the major leagues where the everyday results are as important. You know, yeah, if, if a guy goes out there and throws a perfect game or a no-hitter, we'll talk about that. But we're not out there talking about analyzing every little detail of every little thing. We're more important more inclined to talk about the process and how development works. So we we get a little bit more nuanced in that respect, but there's definitely a part of where we have to build that mutual respect between us. And has there ever been a time where, let's say, they told you stuff that was raw, right? Something that you knew might not go over so well, and right when you're about to publish the article or tweet it out, that they said, hey, can you maybe not do it? Have you just erased everything? Or or, or would you just maybe change it around the words a little bit? You know, for, for the most part, no. There, there hasn't been a situation like that. I've had players be... Um, upset when I've posted some data points that unfortunate that, you know, might have felt like they were attacked, but for, like I said, the most part they understand, you know, you have a job to do. And uh, when it comes down to it, I never had a player say, hey, please delete that or anything like that, because 
they they understand, and a lot of it is one of the good things about the end. I'll say this: I'm not sure about any other organization, but the Yankees have a very good mental conditioning staff and mental conditioning coaches that help and work with players. So you learn how to deal with with that stuff. So it's not a real issue at all. Um, here's my thing. Um, another, um, my, Mitch mentioned earlier about media and about the players with all being, like, media skills. Um, here's another question. Like, how, like, with, with, with coaching, um, from, like, a single, from high A ball to triple A, um, for, for, for like, what has a pro, what, how does prospects feel when they when when they get the news that like oh well congratulations you made it from Charleston to um Stan, um you know Staten Island or whatever like how do prospects normally feel from the Yankees' point because different prospects have different emotions but how do how do prospects at the Yankees train they feel from going promoting from one level to the next. Yeah, that's difficult to say because, you know, a lot of times when a guy gets promoted, I may, you know, text him or or message him saying, hey, congratulations or something like that. Uh, But we don't really talk about, like, the emotions. Yeah, there's excitement and everything to get the guy to, when the guy gets to the next level because it means they're making the next step in their career. Especially if you're going from from single A to double A, double A to triple A, because it gets progressively harder at that point. And uh, you know, of course, there's going to be excitement. There's going to be butterflies. There's going to be a little bit of nervousness. You know, I'll use like Staten Island and Charleston are roughly the same level of play. So there's not really that much of a difference there, except you know, in terms of names, name of the level. But, uh, you know, from going to Charleston to Tampa, you know, that, that's a, a decent jump. And then when you go from Tampa to Trenton, that's, that's a huge jump. Because I don't know how many people realize this. Single-A rosters are 35 men each. When you get to double-A, the rosters are 25 or 26 men now. So you're competing for that for those roster spots, and there's a lot less of those spots available. So it can be uh, can be difficult, and which means when you get that reward, it, it's worth it. It's that much more exciting and that much more feeling of accomplishment. And uh, you know, I can't speak for these guys, but I'm sure they all love it when they get promoted. And there's of course some feelings when you get demoted. You know that happens as well. Um. Here's my last question before rapid fire. Right. Obviously, sometimes players will go will come from Scranton to the Yankees, and it may just be for for a doubleheader. It it may just be for three or four days, and maybe they don't even play. What's their moods when they go back from the Yankees back to Scranton? What do you mean? Like if 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 they weren't with the Yankees for a short trip, and and then they're already back with Scranton. You know, a lot of it is you know they they have travel bags that they'll bring with them. Their equipment will be sent wherever they go, so that they don't have to worry about. 
I think the biggest thing they really have to worry about is housing. Because um, if you're a, a guy assigned to Scranton, usually you sign like a three-month or four-month lease with a bunch of guys. Um, so housing is probably the biggest thing that, that they need to really deal with. But the Yankees have a good support staff, and they have a lot of guys that help out. So it, it's really not that difficult. There's really a lot of considerations to go. You know, you know, if a guy gets demoted and uh, never plays a game in the, in the major leagues, there's a little bit of benefit to that because they finally get, you know, the full health insurance that major leaguers get. They're qualified for health insurance for life, even if they don't play a game, but they were called up. And then once you play a game, you're a member of the Players Association, so there's benefits in that. Um, and then once you get sent back down, you're dealing with the grind of minor league life. There's a huge pay difference. You know, you're going from a minimum pay of almost $600,000 to about sixty dollars or $70,000 a year if you're on the 40-man roster. And if you're not on the 40-man roster, you know, it may be a lot less than that. So uh, there's a lot of considerations to take. Uh, I agree. And we're going to wrap this with rapid fire. Um, I'm going to ask you monthly questions, and you're going to give me the best answers off the top of your head. Um, All right. So, us, um, from Dominion and Clark, um, who's, who's one of the Yankees' under, underrated single-A prospects that, that we have not mentioned? That you have not mentioned? I'm going to go with Ezekiel Duran. Which which prospect um is, is in trouble of not of of potentially being a bust after having high expectations? I would have you. That's a good one. Um, which prospect which prospect um has the highest ceiling? Well, that's easy. That's Dominguez. Perfect. Um, which prospect has, like, the biggest floor? I mean, the highest floor? Yes. I'm going to go with, with uh, Debbie. Ooh. Between, between Dominguez and Clark Smith, if you, have to, if you have to put chips on, who do you think would have the better Yankee career? Um, I'm gonna go with Louis Schmidt because he's he, at this point he's more of a sure thing. Ooh, I like it. Um, does does Esteban Florial stay with the Yankees, or is he, or do you think that he does not have a future with the Yankees? I think he stays with the Yankees. Another prospect um, that the Yankees are very high on. Um. Does we we talked about Siegler being demoted? Does Siegler have a does Siegler have a future with the Yankees, or are the Yankees starting to give up on him? I think he still has a future with the Yankees. Awesome. Which draft pick other than Austin Wells that the Yankees draft has a presence to sign with the Yankees? Say that again. I'm sorry. 
which draft pick that the Yankees drafted have a chance to sign with the Yankees. The only person that signed with the Yankees is their first round pick, Austin Wells. I think all three of them are going to sign. You know, Austin Wells already signed, but I think I see no reason why the other two are not going to sign. All right, and last, last question. Um, where, in all base, in your opinion, with um, with all the baseball, with all the baseball rankings in America, a, where do you think the Yankees should rank out of their out of their prospects? And b, the do the Yankees do the Yankees pro, do the Yankees have the best farm system? Um, strategy in baseball. You're talking about organizational rankings. I would yes. say the Yankees are usually realistically the Yankees should be around uh, in the eight to twelve range. Um, probably more towards the, the twelve, but realistically in that range. And where and where are the Yankees? And where are the and where are the Yankees currently ranked in organizational? Ranking with, with with prospects right now. Well, that depends on who you're asking, because there there's a lot of guys that have the Yankees ranked as a top five system right now because of the huge huge depth of talent they have in the lower levels of the system. But uh, there's still a lot of guys that judge a system based on their upper level strength. So, like I guess for me, I think the Yankees should be in that that eight to twelve range realistically when we balance everything out. I agree. Well, Rob, as always, man, thank you for giving us insight on the Yankees' um, prospects and pipelines, and hopefully we'll have you on again real soon, man. Sounds good. Happy to do it. All right. Thank Thank you, man. man. Thank you. Take care. Well, guys, that was Robert. Um, Fantastic questions, fantastic answers. You know, guys like him, man, it's really, really important. And I get why some players dislike the media. Um, sometimes they gouge them. Um, but the media is really needed, right? Because not every player is active on Twitter like Trevor Bauer. And I also think we need more of that to grow the game. Um, you know, obviously choose who you reply to. But guys like Trevor Bauer, guys like Trevor Plouffe, when they interact with us, that's amazing. Um, But media is very important. You know, Clint, I mean, you know, I I think he did it to himself with the media. And, uh, but... I I think Clint did it to himself. You know, he obviously had that horrible, horrible game in Boston, and he refused to talk to the media. Now, hours later, he talked to someone. Um, but you just just like he said, it's mutual respect. Now, if the player ultimately doesn't want to talk. That's that's his choice, but that speaks volumes. That's saying you are bigger than the team. You have you have a bad game. I am not talking to you. So that allows that media member to write whatever they want. 
or if, if, if it was me, I would say the, the player would refuse to talk, and then I would let the fans decide. And the majority of the fans would probably give him crap because you, you're you saying you don't want to talk. Let's everybody think for you. If you talk, we can't use words that you didn't say. So it just benefits you to talk. Um, Absolutely. And there's just control. a fine line. You know? Absolutely, because if you talk, you're the one that's controlling the narrative. You don't want to let people dictate the narrative for you. You talk, you're able to spin it however you want to. That's why LeBron James is the biggest spin master, because he can manipulate the media to however it is he wants. Yeah, so I'm just going to... Alright, so Major League Baseball tweeted out the safety and health protocols. But I'm going to say this right now. The font is so ridiculous. If I zoom my phone all the way... It looks as if you're seeing a 3D movie without the glasses, so I'm not even going to bother, okay? So, MLB Twitter, st- step your font game up, unless they're charging you a million per font size, right? Or or 100,000 per letter, step step your font game up. Um, A couple of players have chosen to opt out. Ryan Zimmerman... Brock, no, not Brock Holt, um, Joe something, Joe Ross, Joe Ross, um, so Zimmerman said, after a great deal of thought and given family circumstances, three young children, including a newborn and a mother at high risk, I've decided not to participate in the 2020 season. Everyone knows how much it means to me to be a part of a team and I will miss the camaraderie dearly this year. Of course, I would love to pursue back-to-back titles. I cannot speak for anyone else, but given unusual nature of the of the season, this is the best decision for me and my family. And I truly appreciate the organization's understanding and support. To be clear, I'm not retiring at this time. I have not decided on my future in baseball past 2020, but this year, I'll be staying safe at home and pulling as hard as anyone for you guys to defend our championship. And that's Ryan Zimmerman, who is not a mage player at this point in his career. But in that clubhouse, he is huge. And Brock Holt took to Instagram. And he's playing, but what he wrote was very raw, very emotional. His wife is pregnant, right? He has a son, Griff, who's about three or four. And he's on the Brewers now. He was a Red Sox. And he said this, I'm so thankful for the extra time I got to spend with these three these past few months. Time I would not have had during a normal season. I had the chance to be a full-time husband and a dad. I got to present breakfast, lunch, and dinner for bedtime and everything in between. With Lakin being pregnant, obviously his wife, and the pandemic still going on, we decided it would be better for her and Griff to stay home. Now I'm off to Milwaukee, and then three months with them turns into three months without them. Here's the hoping time flies. I would have gave him no beef if he chose to stay home. 
Same with Mike Trout. Same with Garrett Cole. Some people say Garrett is going to pitch. And Mike Trout's going to play. But, they're having their first child, right? Um, Amy Cole said the other day she's probably doing about three days. Um, so, who's to say? Let's say she gives birth tomorrow. And Yankees are camp the third, right? Once Gary holds that sweet, innocent baby boy in his arms, right? You know Amy's going to be tired. Now, um, her mom is there. So, they'd be fine if he wanted to play baseball for the New York Yankees. Um, and who knows, maybe, maybe other family would fly out too, right? You know, may, maybe Brandon's wife. And if you don't know... Amy Cole's brother is Brandon Crawford. Um, so, so maybe that would happen. But everything with the child, especially a baby, is very, very important. So if, if, if it was me and I was a professional athlete and I had my first baby in a situation like this, the first thing I would do is tell my wife, babe, I'm not going anywhere, right? And then I would call Aaron Boone first, tell him first, then I would tell my teammates. And I'm pretty sure no teammates would give Garrett problems. Now, if I had to bet, he's going to play. So all Yankee fans can relax and take a deep breath, okay? And honestly, I hope Garrett Cole does play because if he chooses not to play, I'm telling you right now, I'm logging off of Twitter. I'm not going on. I'm, I'm, I'm really not going on. And But this is a situation that you can't be mad at them. Now, and before I let James speak, if any player has no health issues and has no family with health issues, you have to play. Okay, if Brock Holt's wife wasn't pregnant and he just chose to stay home to be with his family, I'm sorry, that is wrong, right? Because I'm pretty sure, and people may say this is different, but I'm pretty sure there's cops and firefighters and doctors and nurses and many people who deliver food and work for grocery stores who, for the past three months who've been working, I'm pretty sure they would have liked to stay home with their family too. So when you get paid anywhere from 600 grand to millions of dollars to play a game, you have to go do your job. I'm sorry. I agree. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, nothing really more to add, but... Uh... I agree. Um, also, um, big. Oh, and um, Hunter Bishop tested positive for COVID nineteen on Friday. He's with the Giants. He was sitting in front of Spencer Torkelson at the house party when Torkelson was drafted, and Spencer Torkelson was the first player in this year's draft by the Detroit Tigers, 
And they say when his contract is fully done, the Tigers are going to add him to the roster. And they say right now, he could back clean up in the Tigers lineup. That is pretty impressive. I agree. I agree. Uh, I'm actually looking forward. I'm actually looking forward to this. Um, I'm actually looking forward to this Kobe interview. I'm really like excited. I'm yeah. really excited for that Kobe interview. I, but, uh, I think that's going to be good. Uh, the third player, I, I forgot that's not playing. Is Mike Leek. He's a pitcher for the Diamondbacks. He's also free agent. Um, and he said during this global pandemic, Mike and his family had many discussions about playing this season. They took countless factors into consideration, many of which are personal to him and his family. After thorough consideration, he has chosen to opt out of playing in the 2020s. This was not easy decision for Mike. He wishes the best of luck and health for his Diamondback teammates this season, and he's looking forward to 2021. And Anthony Rizzo, Cubs star first baseman, who's had cancer, right now he is most likely going to play. They, they said not for sure. So if a guy who's had cancer and, you know, he so if he could play, anybody else could play, and of course Chad Bettis, who just retired, right? He recovered from cancer, so I'm pretty sure that's also maybe why he retired. And uh, you know, these are tough, tough times. Si- situations like this are uh, sucks. I agree. Um. That's uh, pretty much all for today. Oh, I thought you had more to say. I got a couple more things. Um, so updated odds to win AFC: Chiefs plus two seventy, Ravens plus three thirty, New England plus seven fifty, Pittsburgh plus eleven hundred, Colts thirteen hundred. Whose James is high on for some reason? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Jeff Fletcher beat Ryder who covers the Angels. MMO be announced that teams can have their first workout of summer camp as soon as Friday. Physicals and COVID-19 testing will start earlier as soon as Wednesday. Teams can also have up to three exhibitions against other teams and unlimited intra-squad. If it was me, I would have more intra-squad games. Uh, Jets and Giants and probably others are letting people out of their season tickets. 2020 season, season ticket payment defer, deferral. For accounts enrolled in a payment plan, we will again be deferring your next season ticket payment, which was previously scheduled for July. You may also continue to make payments on your account. For those that have previously elected this option, you will be charged as scheduled in July. Deferral or refund for 2020 season tickets. If you prefer not to use your tickets for 2020 season, you may defer your subscription to the 2021 season and apply any previous payment made for 2020 as a credit towards your 2021 season. Alternatively, you may choose to receive a refund. 
and will have the option to renew your season tickets for 2021. In either instance, your seat location for the 2021 season will be reserved. Deferment of next scheduled PSL payment. If you are a PSL account holder currently on an installment plan and you elect to either defer your 2020 season ticket payment to 2021 or request a refund, you also will have the option to defer your account PSL's installment payment due in November 2020 to November 2021 with no additional charges, all PSL rights and obligations will remain unchanged. I agree. Um, good job. I know more things that I'm doing this going forward. Because you know the NFL wants to have fans. Um, I totally get because they want to cover their bases. Because also you're probably not going to have full, full capacity until this pandemic blows over. Um, last quick news, Broadway is closed until 2021. January 3rd, 2021 is when they'll open. Um, and also New Jersey has suspended indoor dining indefinitely due to outbreaks in different states. Governor Murphy announced today. So, yeah. That's how it should be. And there's one last quick thing. Is a great man. <laughs> that made me laugh. That is hysterical. I read a lobby analysis of the AFC East quarterback depth chart over the last 24 hours. Here's my analysis. The head coach of the Patriots would be happy to offer both of his QBs in the first round pick the Jets for their quarterback. And to the Jets would say thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, that's a uh, fully, fully crap. There's also, there's also. I get the Patriots signing a headline and generating interest, but if you were to give me a choice between the guy playing for the Jets and even guy on the Patriots, I'll go take the Jets quarterback every day of the week and try some Sunday, and that's all I really care about. You gotta stop. You gotta stop yourself. All right, I get it. You work for the Jets. I get it. I get it. But. You can't say stuff like this, Bob. I mean, I mean, sure, 43 comments, 86 retweets, 584 likes. I get it. It's, it's, it's cool. 34 comments, 84 retweets, 486 likes. I understand. But even if Ken Newton's 75% healthy, he's the best quarterback in that division. Alright, skill-wise, Tua may be the best quarterback in the division. Or maybe he ties for Josh Allen. But, right now, you're not having a guy named Sam Darnold that's better than Cam Newton. You're not, if it's Jared Stidham, go ahead. Josh Allen's better than Jared Stidham. Tua's better than Jared Stidham. Sam Darnold's better than Jared Stidham. Ryan Tannehill is better than Jared Siddham. Every other quarterback in the NFL is better than Jared Siddham. Cool. Go ahead. I like that. But it's Cam Newton. The guys want an MVP. Alright? Before, before that Super Bowl, he was fantastic. Nobody else would have picked anybody different. Nobody. So I get it. It's the Patriots. A lot of people are not going to like this because it's the Patriots. Right? Oh, we thought they were done. We were happy. We were going to have the AFC East. The Patriots are dead for the next 10 years. Yay, I'm a loser. 
Breaking news, the Patriots signed Cam Newton to a veteran minimum contract. Ah! Y'all lied to me! The Bills were supposed to win the East! The Jets were supposed to go for wildcard spot or the East! Ah! Oh my god, I'm Bob with shoes and what am I gonna do? Ah! And, and every other fan base is just, no, 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 no! It was supposed to be it! It was supposed to be it! Tennessee Titans took him out! No, no, no! And all, all right. and all y'all can stay mad at that, all right? You can go somewhere. Of course you don't care, because you're a clown. You're whack. You're chickity chickity trash, all right? Because you're mad because your team is not going to get better like this right now. They're going to suck this year. That's why you're mad. So, that, so that's why you're saying it's all right. That's why you're saying it's okay. That, that, that's how you're being all... Uh, you know that that's that's why you're being all Colt boy, Philip Rivers, yeah, go Colts, yeah, and this today this afternoon, you know we have to end it with this. I call the great Barton Hanshaw this week. It's Chris Carlin and Bart Scott, and Mr. Bart Scott basically shoots me down that the Patriots can't beat the Ravens. And I tell a certain somebody that I called the show. And that certain person calls the show. And he has the audacity. Well, you'll, you'll hear it when you hear the pod. But when you hear it, you'll be like, wow, James, what a jerk. The bottom line is, why are so many people... Up Lamar Jackson's butt. I don't understand. The guy is 0-2 in the playoffs for a reason. It's for a reason. He can't know, he cannot get the job done. Alright? He uh, was not very good against the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs. Yeah, he was terrible. He was, he was terrible. not good in his first playoff game. So if he only has to throw the football. Sucks. Well, on that note, um, we're going to end it here. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. Um, life and fears of Los Goodbyes. It's time to say goodbye. See you, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. And, guys, more importantly, follow Grunt Talks MLB. They do fantastic stuff. Um, James has Puck Luck on there. Julian and Bobby have GNT podcast on there. Mike Scudero has Yappin' Yanks on there. Nate has his podcast on there. And of course, Big Steve works with Puck Luck with James. And Grunt Talk posts really good videos. And they have pretty interesting polls. And we've talked to people on Grunt Talks. They're great. So, make sure you follow Grunt Talks MLB, and you won't be disappointed.